Amen. So good. Oh, I feel like I'm still in worship right now. That was so amazing. Are you guys blessed by our team? We have such a such an incredible team. And uh, one thing I, I just want to honor our worship team. One thing I love about our worship team is uh, they worship off the stage, just as much as they worship on the stage. And uh, that 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 is why our culture and Sunday mornings are the way that they are. They're they're not here to put on a show. They're not here to have a performance or look good. They're they're here out of an overflow of what they've cultivated in their alone time with the Lord. And uh, it, it's such a, a beautiful thing. And we're super honored. So we love you guys. Thank you guys for all that you do. Oh man, uh, before we jump in the sermon, uh, do you have any new people in the room? See some new faces? Come on, can we honor them? Thank you guys for being here. So glad y'all are here. Uh, my name is Andrew Lennon, and I have the honor of pastoring this church alongside my wife, Sarah Beth. And, uh, you know, for those of you who are near here, our, our heart as a church is to be a house for his presence. And uh, that's, that's what happened this morning. And one of the things that I feel like it is, is so significant to our culture and our heartbeat as a community uh, is really understanding what the presence of God means. And uh, I know, I feel like now the presence is kind of like a, a church buzzword and uh, everyone just calls everything the presence. Um, I heard a self singer, she said that there's a difference of, of anointing and adrenaline. And uh, just because something's hype and exciting doesn't mean God's on it. Um, and God's just as much on the still moments, the quiet moments, the, the instrumental moments, the mundane moments. Uh, but we really feel a call to cultivate a community that is centered around the presence. And who knows that the presence of Jesus is Jesus. That we don't gather around a fog, we gather around a person. And uh, we define the presence of God here as relational nearness. Can you say relational nearness? is that we have access, Hebrews says that we who were once far away have been brought near because of the blood. We now have access, which is nearness, but we also have intimacy. So we have access to creator God through the blood of Jesus, but not only do we have access, we get to intimately know him and experience him. And both of those are key because it's one thing to have access to someone, right? You can have access to someone. You can have my phone number. You can text me. It doesn't mean you have intimacy with me. Just because you have intimacy with someone, but they're living across the globe, doesn't mean you have access to someone. So both of those are key in understanding what it means to actually have a relationship with God. And so when we worship, you guys need to hear this. When we worship, uh, we're not singing about Jesus, we're singing to Jesus. So different, if you didn't catch that. There is a big difference about singing about how amazing God is versus singing directly to him. It's a difference of talking about how amazing my wife is versus telling her face to face. So this is what happens when we gather. And uh, I firmly believe God comes where he's welcomed. And uh, you can have access to God anytime you want, right? God's omnipresent, but there's something about his manifest, his abiding presence, where God is present in the room. We're face to face. We're in contact with him. And who knows, that's the only place transformation is going to happen. 
It's not going to happen in a self-help book. It's not going to happen in uh, my strength and my efforts and in my preparation for the sermon. It's, it's only going to happen when you become face-to-face with him. So this is what we are cultivating and what we're going after. You guys excited about that? Yeah. I am. All right, well, let's jump in. Uh, let's open our Bibles to John 1941. Uh, I have a word today that I'm excited about. Anyone excited for the word? Anyone love scripture? Yes? Okay. Uh, let's open to John 19, 41. And I want to take you guys on a journey this morning. It says this, that at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. Say there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And so, This is this very significant thing. I don't know if you guys caught onto this. That it's significant that creation started in a garden and through the resurrection, new creation also started in a garden. Now let's go down to John 20, 14. We read further in the story. There's a woman named Mary Magdalene who was the first person to encounter Jesus after he resurrected. And it says here that she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus thinking he was the gardener. And so we see this moment in the cool of the day there was Jesus standing and Mary mistakenly thought Jesus was the gardener because who else would be at this garden tomb early in the morning walking around? But what's interesting is that this mistake wasn't actually a mistake. That what she said is actually a beautiful revelation and a prophetic declaration. That the second Adam, which is Jesus, who came from the dust redeeming all things, the true gardener of the resurrection, he reversed the effects of the first Adam. And by giving us the seed of his spirit who grows his fruit in our lives, he is restoring the garden in us. Isn't that beautiful? J.K. or G.K. Chesterton, he says this, on the third day, the friends of Christ coming at daybreak to the place found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and in a semblance of a gardener, God walked again in the garden. He is a gardener. Then Genesis 2.15, if we go back in the beginning, that says that the Lord God took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it. Look your neighbor say, work it. To work it and to care for it. So we see here that Jesus is the gardener of our life, but he's also entrusted us as gardeners of our souls. I want you to catch this. That God was the one that planted the seeds, put the trees in there, made everything grow, but then he created man and said, hey, I want to give you authority to rule, to protect, to grow, to steward what I've created. So in the same way, when you receive Jesus, 
He planted the seed. <laughs> he grew the tree. He gave you resurrected life. But he's entrusted you as a co-laborer, as a gardener, to protect, to grow, right? To take care of and to work at it, namely your soul. And so let me define the soul real quick. The soul is comprised of your mind, which is your thoughts, your will, which is your desires, and your emotions, which is your feelings. So I want to ask you guys this question. If God is the ultimate gardener of our life, but he has entrusted us as gardeners of our soul, are you aware of what seeds you've allowed to grow in the garden of your soul? Are you aware of what is growing? Are you aware of what things, what seeds have been planted that you've continually watered? That you've continually given permission to remain in that place? Hebrews 12.15, this is where we're going to go today, says this, Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I'm going to read that again. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And so bitterness, I want you to hear this, starts as a seed. It starts as a seed of anger, of hurt, or offense, which grows into bitterness, and it produces corrupt and harmful, as, as Hebrew says, poisonous fruit. And so today I want to talk about the root of bitterness. It's a fun one. The root of bitterness. Now, we see here in Hebrews 12 that uh, bitterness starts as a root. And as you guys know, roots are underground. Meaning, bitterness is easy to hide. Bitterness is easy to bury. Bitterness is easy to stuff. Bitterness is easy to camouflage. And in Hebrews, it says that it causes you trouble. So this is where it starts. It starts with you. It causes you trouble. And I would point out, fourfold. It causes you emotional trouble, physical trouble, relational trouble, and spiritual trouble. And at the end it says, and it corrupts many. Lastly, bitterness creates corrupt fruit that affects those around us. Jesus says they will be known by their what? By their fruit. That ain't just good fruit. That's every fruit. And so the people that you come into contact with, whether you realize it or not, they're eating the fruit of your life. <laughs> Especially the people that you're closest with. They're eating the fruit of your life. So let me start again with that question. Are you aware of what is growing in the garden of your soul? I made this diagram to see how this, how this looks, how this starts. So it starts as a seed of anger, hurt, or offense, which grows into roots of bitterness. And here are some fruit, some harmful, some troublesome, as Hebrew says, some poisonous fruit that bear from a root of bitterness. Sin, gossip, slander, rage, 
judgment, pessimism, disconnection, stress, anxiety, sickness, victim mentality, depression. These are some fruit that can bear from a root of bitterness. Uh, Stephen Diamond, PhD, he's a psychologist, and uh, I don't actually believe he's a Christian, but he defines bitterness as a chronic or continual and pervasive or consuming state of resentment. He defines bitterness as a continual and consuming state of resentment and regards it as one of the most destructive and toxic human emotions. The author of Hebrews knew what he was talking about, right? This psychologist, he also said this. He says, if we repeatedly dwell over how we've been victimized, quote, nursing wrongs may eventually come to define some essential part of who we are. And it can take hold of our very personality that we'll end up becoming victims not so much of anyone else but of ourselves. That your personality is developed by your patterns of thinking, whether good or bad. That's developed by your behaviors, your experiences, your, your, your thought patterns, whether good or bad. And I, and I felt like as I was preparing this, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, say this before, at least from the pulpit, but not all parts of your personality are from God. A lot of us just think, okay, this is just my personality, this is just who I am, this is just, you know, I mean, I just, I just don't like talking to people. <laughs> I'm just an introvert, right? Or I'm just, I'm just an extrovert, so I, I can't control my tongue. <laughs> And, and we think that our personality is just, it is what it is, right? This is, just, this is just who I am. And so I, I just want to say this, that not, not all parts of your personality is from God. There are actually parts of your personality that has formed because there was a bad seed that planted but here's the beautiful thing, is that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That your personality, the parts of your personality, I'll say, that are not of God aren't permanent. That if you feel like, man, I just have a pessimistic personality, it's just my outlook on life. There's a seed that got, got planted in the garden of your soul. If you're just like, man, you know, I'm just shy and I just don't really like talking to people. There's a seed that got planted in the garden of your soul. And I'll tell you guys this, I've seen this even in my own life, right? I, years and years before encountered the Holy Spirit, I was a Christian my whole life, but later in my life encountered the Holy Spirit, changed everything. But before that moment, I was timid, I was shy, I was fearful. Um, I had a lot of self-hatred. I didn't see myself in a, with a lot of confidence. That was my, quote, personality. Right? I never would have thought, okay, I can preach in front of people and not care what people think in a good way, right? And, and have confidence and know who God has called me to be. I never thought that was possible. But I want you to know it is. Okay? All right. So... Here's a, 
some effects of bitterness. I found this uh, on an article. Some effects of bitterness is it can prolong your mental and emotional pain. It can lead to long-lasting anxiety and or depression. It can prevent you from experiencing the potential joys of living life fully in the present because you are dwelling on the past wrongs afflicted on you. It can create a deepened attitude of distrust, cynicism, paranoid thinking, and pessimism. And such a bleak perspective prompts others to turn away from you. That bitterness can interfere with you cultivating healthy, satisfying relationships and lead you to doubt or devalue your connection to others and with God. That bitterness can compromise or even weaken your pursuit of your purpose and calling. The bitterness can undermine your physical health. That chronic anger that is bitterness can raise your stress baseline, therefore taxing your immune system. The last thing is that bitterness can blind you from recognizing your own role or responsibility in possibly hurting others. Who wants this tree to grow in their life? Good. Guys, you have to be aware of what is growing. Just like Adam, he's given you authority. He's given you a job. He's given you permission to work and to care for it. I want to read a a story. It's a story of the two priests. And uh, from what I know, this isn't a true story. It's more of a a tale or a parable. But in this story, there were two priests who were walking through the countryside. Now, they were on their way to another village, and as they walked, they saw an old woman sitting at the edge of a river. And she was sad because there was no bridge and she couldn't get across on her own. Now, the first priest kindly offered, we will carry you across if you would like. And she said, thank you. She was grateful and accepted their help. And so the two men joined hands lifted her between them, carried her on their shoulders across the river. And when they got to the other side, they sat her down and she went on her way. Now, after they had walked another mile or so, the second priest began to complain. Look at my clothes, he said. They're filthy from carrying that woman across the river. My back hurts from lifting her. I can feel it getting stiff. And the first priest, he just smiled. He looked at him, he nodded, he didn't say anything. Now, a few more miles up the road, the second priest complained again. He said, my back is hurting me so badly. It's all because of that woman that we had to carry across the river. I can't go any farther because of the pain. The first priest looked down at the other priest who's lying on the ground moaning. And he said, have you wondered why I'm not complaining? He said, your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. But I set her down five miles ago. That letting go of bitterness doesn't mean that the offense wasn't a real experience, right? The priest's clothes were definitely dirty. His back was definitely hurting. But what happened externally, he allowed it to affect him internally. Todd White, he says this quote that I love. He says, don't let sin against you cause sin in you. And so when we hold on to bitterness, we're actually just prolonging our healing. (laughs) That God can't heal what you won't let go of. It's not that he can't in his own power, 
But God doesn't force things on you. If you don't want healing, he's not going to force you to be healed. God can't, God won't change a heart that's not willing to receive. And so when we're holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness, we're actually putting ourselves in the seat of judge. That when someone has wronged us, whether willingly or unintentionally, we're holding their charges against them. However, judgment isn't our job. It's God's. And when we hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness, we're trying to take God's responsibility in our own hands. And so by letting go, we're trusting that God is king, that he is just, that his forgiveness is stronger, and that he is in charge of the offender's judgment, not us. That it's time to drop the charges. That we're holding charges over people's heads that have hurt us, who've angered us, who've offended, offended us, whether it was just a moment interaction or it's been over a lifetime. Guys, I'm telling you, if you continue to carry that, you're not hurting them, you're just hurting yourself. So Deuteronomy 29 to 18. You guys okay? Yeah. All right. It says this, I am making this covenant with you so that no one among you, no man, woman, clan, or tribe, will turn away from the Lord our God to worship these gods of other nations so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. There it is again. And so in this passage, we see that God made a covenant with his people, claiming them as his own to do what? To worship him and him alone. That it's through covenant and relationship with him that we're kept away from the root of bitterness. It says that I'm making a covenant with you. No man, woman, clan, or tribe will turn away from the Lord our God to worship these other gods of nations and so that no root among you bears bitter and poisonous fruit. And so it's through covenant and relations that were kept away from the root of bitterness. And this is because bitterness is the opposite of God's na nature. Bitterness is opposite to God's nature because God is full of mercy and grace. And so what happens, guys, is when we give bitterness permission to grow in the garden of our soul, we're actually going against our covenant and we're disconnecting from relationship. You cannot be face-to-face, -face, locked eyes with him while still being bitter. <laughs> and that bitterness, if you even think about it from a theological perspective, it's actually a form of idolatry because we're giving something else worth and we're dwelling on something contrary to him. So I want you guys to see this. This isn't just like, yeah, it's like a little, you know, not good thing to do. It's a really big not thing to do. Has anyone ever tasted something bitter before? Yeah. 
cranberry sauce, Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying? But if you've ever tasted something bitter, usually right after when you eat something else, there's still a bitter taste left in your mouth and what you eat afterwards also tastes bitter. That Psalm 34, we know this, this passage, right? Taste and see that the Lord is what? Is good. But here's the thing, guys. It doesn't matter how good God is. If you are bitter, everything else will also taste bitter. <laughs> that bitterness actually affects your ability to see God, to see yourself, and to see others rightly. It distorts it distorts our ability to taste and see that he is good. So where do we go from here? <laughs> Ephesians 4, 31 to 32. Paul says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, of rage, of anger, of harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Has anyone here had a garden, have a garden, you work with a garden? Yeah. So, as I was researching this, I actually found out that in gardening, it's important to take into consideration the compatibility of what you plant together. I fact-checked this with my wife because she, she gardens a lot, and she was like, this took me like five years to figure out, and you did one Google search and got it. There we go. Um, but in gardening, it's really important to take into consideration the compatibility of what you plant together. Because if you want to plant things together, they have to have similar water, nutrient, and space requirements. That growing one plant that requires lots of water together with one that doesn't need much is actually a problem because it can lead to root rot and the death of the other plants. That incompatible plants compete for more nutrients, sunlight or space, and other requirements, killing the weaker plant. So what's the point? Incompatible plants can't coexist. That bitter trees can't coexist with forgiving and merciful trees. That in the same way, if we want to get rid of bitterness, we have to plant more forgiveness and mercy because the stronger plant will overtake and kill the weaker plant. That Paul shows us here that the opposite of bitterness is compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. And Jesus wants to plant these things in us, but here's the thing, guys. We have to be willing to partner with him to do the work and to care for that garden in our soul. Man, that's amazing. God encountered you with his love. You came to Breakthrough Church. You had an amazing worship moment, but you leave and you're still bitter. Something that happened to someone else. The reason that is, is because worship isn't an escape. <laughs> worship isn't a place for you just to escape your problems. Worship is actually meant to transform you. And so, Here's the thing, I always give this example, and it's, it's a very extreme example, so hear the principle, right? If someone was extremely obese, and the Lord radically healed them, made them lose like 400 pounds, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Okay, no one thinks that's awesome. It's all good. Amen, there we go, thanks Dean. But here's the thing. So if God did that, but that person continues to eat McDonald's three times a day for the rest of his life, what do you think is gonna happen? It's gonna gain it all back. So God can catalyze healing, God can speak, hey, you need to forgive this person. But you actually have to steward what he's spoken. You actually have to cultivate the seed of what he's planted. And so this is the invitation, and, and next week we're gonna talk about the opposite tree. We're gonna talk about the root of forgiveness. But this is where I wanna end for today. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. That we have to ask the Holy Spirit to highlight areas where a root of bitterness has gone planted. And bitterness is usually targeted to three parties. It's either targeted to someone, someone that's hurt you or an interaction you had with God. Maybe you felt that God let you down and there's an area in your heart where you're, or you're deep down bitter with God. And then the last thing that happens a lot is yourself. But oftentimes a lot of people have a lot of bitterness still against themselves. Maybe there was something that you wish you did differently or you thought you were supposed to do or you messed up in and, and you're holding judgment against yourself. You're holding judgment against the person that hurt, hurt you. You're holding judgment still against God. And scripture says that if you have an offense against someone, leave your offering at the altar first. Go back, reconcile, and then come back to me. And so I want to pray before we go back into worship. That Jesus would come. He would illuminate. And he would help you uproot whatever is there. And so, Father, we just thank you for your death and your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that you came to give us life and life abundantly. That you came to give us a different quality of living. You didn't just come to save our spirit you came to save our soul. You came to restore our soul. And so, Lord, we just draw the line in the sand, and Lord, we say that this, this moment, if there's any bitterness, I leave it at the altar. Holy Spirit, would you search us and see if there's any offensive way in us? Lord, if there's any bitterness towards our parents, would you illuminate that? If there's any bitterness towards our kids, would you illuminate that? If there's any bitterness towards the church or ministry or a pastor, would you illuminate that? Or if there's any bitterness towards someone who abused us or neglected us, anything that's left, would you illuminate that? Lord, even if it was just a quick interaction that happened this week, that a seed was planted, 
that maybe hasn't bared fruit yet, but it will, would you illuminate even just the, the simple seed that was planted? And Lord, we just say we let go. We let go. We trust you as judge. We step down from the seat and we say, Jesus, you take your throne. You are king. We trust and we believe that your forgiveness is much more powerful than the offense and the anger and the hurt. Let's say it again. Lord, we believe that your forgiveness is so much more powerful for the hurt and the pain and the offense. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Because here's the thing, guys. You cannot forgive in your own strength. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness to flow through us and we offer it. whether it's to ourselves. Maybe you've been living in a cycle of shame and you've, you've actually formed a root of bitterness against yourself. That's bared fruit of shame and guilt and self-hatred and self-loathing. Lord, would you reveal that? And Lord, I draw the line of the sand and I say, your forgiveness is so much more powerful than my mistake. Jesus, your mercy is so much greater than my sin, than my shortcomings. From the moment that I fail, Lord, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness is much more powerful and I administer the blood. I apply the sacrifice of Jesus. And I receive the forgiveness that you purchased for me to have towards myself. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that people would even feel a physical weight fall off their shoulders, a physical load, chains just fall. But we ask that you would uproot any seeds and any roots of bitterness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're the gardener of our life. Would you come and prune and refine us and teach us how to tend to our soul so that only what is of you will remain. the Lord on that. Lord, would you teach us to care and to tend to our soul so that only what is of you will remain. Uproot pride. Uproot comparison. Uproot jealousy uproot fear, uproot anxiety. Lord, would you just uproot whatever seeds we've given permission to get planted. 
Lord, we take back the authority you've given us to rule and reign. To not just let anything in. To not just say yes to any thought that you hear in your head. Because not every thought is your thought. And Lord, I ask that you would renew the personality that you have planted in us. Lord, I pray right now that the parts of our personalities that have gone stunted, that got stunted, maybe there's root rot, maybe there's decay, Maybe it hasn't allowed to grow. Maybe it's withered. I pray that you would bring new life to areas of our personality that you have actually planted and designed us to step into. Our personality, those parts that aren't of you aren't permanent. I feel just right now as you become aware of those parts, would you just tell him, Jesus, would you renew this part? Would you renew this timidity? Would you renew this need for attention? Would you renew this part? That's quick to speak, but slow to listen. Would you renew these pieces? you plant joy and confidence, compassion and kindness and a tenderness or would you renew? Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Would you do it? Would you do it Lord? Would you do it? Would you start the work? Would you start the work? This morning, would you start the work? And Lord, we partner with you to continue it and to steward it. So let's stand. We're going to worship. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just say thank you, Jesus?